Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that the Sabbath is upon us. It's been a busy week. But Lord, we just want to let all that be behind us and embrace what you have for us this Sabbath. Please, Father, forgive us for where we let you down. Thank you for where you encouraged us, where you helped us through the week. And Father, we ask that you would just pick us up, dust us off, and set us on that path that leads to everlasting. Lord, thank you for yet another Sabbath. We're one Sabbath closer to heaven. Lord, I ask that you would be with us tonight, and please be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife of 19 years, we're, we're going to be hitting 20, I believe it is, uh, this June. And uh, she sends her regards. She actually really wanted to come on this trip. But as some of you know, my wife has been sick for about five and a half years. And she is about the worst that I've seen her in that five and a half year period. I wouldn't say the most, but she's number two right now in her struggle. Um, I, I might as well tell you, because uh, many of you will come up and ask me what's going on with her, especially being here in Loma Linda. Uh, the reality is she contracted Lyme disease about six years ago, uh, five and a half years ago, and uh, we beat the Lyme disease through the eight laws of health, which, uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, it took us over a year, uh, consistent fever treatments and uh, daily fever treatments, treatments, in fact, detoxification, uh, living the eight laws of health like we never lived it before, and uh, we beat it. But her symptoms didn't go away, and as we progressed uh, throughout that next year, her health continued to decline. We couldn't figure out what was going on, so she went and had some more testing done. And uh, unfortunately, they found this little demonic thing. Uh, it's called Protomyxoa rheumatica. And it's, you, you hope and pray you get Lyme, uh, even bad case of Lyme, if you will, uh, rather than this little thing. There's no known cure for it. And it's kind of like a malaria. And so she's been now on long-term antibiotic therapy for years. And unfortunately, her hair is starting to go, uh, fall out, and she's very weak, and it's kind of like taking almost a chemo-ish kind of type situation. So she's really struggling. And if you think of my dear wife, Kobe, C-O-B-Y, put her on every prayer list you know, and please pray for her. But she really did want to come. She was hoping she'd be strong enough, because we do have friends down here in the area. After all, we are native Californians, but we've been transplanted to New Mexico now. Um, I would have never chosen New Mexico. People say, why'd you move here? I said, I'm still asking that question. I don't know. The Lord led us is what I do know. Um, and it has led to some special things, which I'll share with you later this evening. So from what I understand, I'm going to be here with you until about 9.30. <laughs> so apparently, like New Zealand, you guys like to flog your speakers. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I didn't fly here just to give you an hour. Amen. So I will promise you this, if you come and you show up, so will I. All right, how many will show up tomorrow? All right, praise the Lord, amen. That will make it worth the trip. This particular message tonight is entitled, 
Uh, it's from our Distraction Dilemma music seminar. How many of you have heard that seminar the full 12 hours? Raise your hands high. All five of you. Awesome. Okay, good. That means most of you haven't. So praise the Lord. We'll start at the beginning. And this particular message tonight is entitled Overture, Our Personal Journey. And since my wife is not here to share her part of the journey with you, I will actually be sharing her part for her. Amazingly enough, my son Tyler, who's now 15, and he's actually taller than me now. I just, I was walking the other day in the parking lot of Home Depot, and my youngest son's this big, and my oldest son is this big, and I said, awesome, I finally have bodyguards. <laughs> and I told him that. I said, man, you guys need to travel with me, and you can be my bodyguard. Not that I need bodyguards, but they thought, that would be cool, Dad. And I looked at him and said, wow, they're growing up so fast. And last ASI, my oldest son, Tyler, actually was teaching in the, uh, oh, what were they? They were about the uh, 8 to 12-year-old classes. And he gave a mini version of this music seminar to them. It was so, his first time he's ever spoken public like that. And he got the bug. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I've been praying they'd want to do something for the Lord. Let's start in the beginning. In Genesis 1, amen? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God what? God said. God sounded. He chose to use sound. He spoke. Amen? He spoke. So God sounded, let there be light. Now, did he sing that? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he said, let there be light. That would be way better than that, right? Probably multiple harmonies all at the same time. But he sounded. He didn't just go, right? He sounded. God created, I believe, He created. And when He began to speak, and God said, let there be light, man, there had to be light, right? And God spoke this creation, and God said, and God said, and He created all the things that we see. What's interesting is every living thing, every um, inanimate, Thing as well, they all have frequencies emitting from them. Did you know that? Any of you scientists, you'll know that's true. There's actual frequency in everything. God created, I guess, with like frequency. He sounded. Interesting that he chose to sound to create. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God said. Dr. Hans Jenny. Now, this is very interesting to me. He was a, a Swiss physician, and this Swiss physician and natural scientist, as he was termed, he would photograph plastics, powders, and liquids and other inorganic material. And what he discovered was something very interesting. 
he noticed that when he would send certain frequencies to different substances, they would create some very amazing and even unusual patterns. Look at this. Now, I don't know how well you can see that, discern what's going on there, but there's some very intricate patterns here. And so when he would turn up different frequencies and, and mod and do different sounds, frequencies, he could create objects with inorganic material. Very interesting. And he also noticed that some, at some frequencies, interestingly enough, he found that the inorganic matter would change shape, form either geometric patterns that could even come to resemble living creatures such as starfish and even human cells. In other words, sound moves matter. Amen? Really, that's all we are. And so on the most, on the, the simple, look at how intricate that is. That's another inorganic compound, a powder, being moved by frequency and creating intricate detail. God creates. God sounded. Sound moves matter. We are matter. Sound moves us. Make sense? It does. And even more than just moving us physiologically, which we will learn this weekend, especially tomorrow, we'll learn how sound, how music moves us neurologically, physiologically, but it also, beyond inorganic material, it moves us emotionally as well. And so there's, it's so myriad how music impacts the human organism. It's amazing. And frankly, Science is just starting to figure out some of it. And we have a 12-hour seminar talking about it. i got to catch up with this one here. An interesting quote, Dr. Jenny stated, Sound has a direct influence on our human biology and thus influences our health. Now, this was given to us this statement, I would imagine this was about 1946-ish, 1940s. And really, science is just now saying, man, it's amazing how much sound influences the human biology and how it influences our health. You can actually make yourself sick with the wrong kinds of sounds. Did you know that? You can also assist your immunity and immune system with the right kinds of sounds. It's phenomenal what science is figuring out right now. We'll come back to that. Now, when God created, when God spoke, when He sounded, He created beauty. He created harmony. He created radiance. And He created structure. And he created symmetry. You see, God's creative power surpasses anything and everything that we as human beings can really truly comprehend. And to say that it was actually, uh, it was actually, it actually evolved, and everything that you see around you actually evolved, is really probably one of the most ignorant statements an educated person can say. Are you with me? I don't know if this whole creation evolution thing has infiltrated this campus, this area, but it's everywhere. 
And I used to be a dyed-in-the-wool evolutionist. I was born and raised in the world. No Christianity or moral compass in my life. And that was the science. But sadly enough, there was never any evidence on the other side talking about creation ever presented because it was laughed at as a hoax or just a, a fairy tale. But the reality is, as an educated thinking person, as I began to look into science from a creationist standpoint after I had become a Christian, I said, you know what, i got to start figuring this thing out versus creation versus evolution. i got to start putting some time into this. And friends, the more science I found and the more smart people that are actual creationists and some of the science that's out there, it is one of the most easy things to believe. It's true. Oh, hey, go, go read about uh, Dr. Robert Gentry's book if you haven't lately, uh, Creation's Tiny Mystery. It'll about blow your mind. It bent my head because half of it was over my head, which is good, though. It makes me think more, amen? That's what God said. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Not just believe blindly. Now, each one of these quotes I'm going to read, they're not direct quotes, but this is the, some of them are, but these are all found in the spirit of prophecy, and I just put them in rapid fashion uh, as a bullet point. And I didn't even give the reference, but uh, we will in our future seminar. We're going to release a new one in about a year and a half, uh, adding a whole bunch of medical information, which is just astonishing. No note of discord to mar the celestial harmonies until one who chose to pervert that freedom, the freedom that God had granted to his children. Sin originated with him who next to Christ had been most honored of God. And of course we know we're talking about Lucifer, son of the morning, chief covering cherub, holy and undefiled. Eventually, he indulged in the desire for self-exaltation. He ventured to covet the homage due to Christ alone. Now, this is a direct quote, the perfect harmony of heaven was broken. You see, when you read through the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, there's actually a lot of musical terms. And when you read through, and our dear Sister White says that the perfect harmony was now broken. There was now a note of discord. I have a little piano in my home, and when you get to D above middle C, you just about can't handle it because it's so discordant, it, it makes my cat go, yeah. I mean, it's just so off. Well, Lucifer became the, uh, he became the off note because there was perfect harmony in all of the universe until that one discordant note. There's, does anybody know what one of Lucifer's job was musically in heaven? He was the choir master. So do you think he knows a little bit about music? <laughs> Friends, the music that that created being was able to create I could, dare I say, far surpasses any music that's probably ever been created on this planet. You know that Ellen White says that, that by the way, is it okay to use Ellen White here? Yes. Okay, if not, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because it's a blessing for God's people. Frankly, I started reading about Ellen White before I even picked up a Bible. Does that mean I worship Ellen White? No, I'm thankful for her guidance. God has never left his people without guidance. What are we going to do if we don't accept Ellen White's writings when, some, when God raises up maybe one of you young people right here because we know in the end days that our young men and women will dream dreams and have visions once again. So if we're throwing out the former, God's not going to give us another one. I want another one because I want to go home. How about you? Amen. Music is so powerful. I forgot the, what I was going to say about Ellen White. She was going to say something. Say again. I was talking about Lucifer. It's been a really long week and a long day, so please forgive me. What's that? Yeah, well, we do know he was the choir master in heaven, and he does know music. Oh, now I know. Thank you. Is that I said, dare I say, that the music he created far surpassed any of the music that we here produce on this planet. And the reason I say that is because Ellen White said when she came out of vision once, she said, all the music I hear here on earth, no matter how beautiful we believe it to be, is harsh compared to the music she heard in heaven. I want to hear that music. Because I'll tell you what, I've heard music on this planet that evokes tears spilling out of my eyes. Just uh, uh, imagine one more heaven. You want to know how powerful? You want to know how powerful the music is in heaven? So much so that Lucifer almost forgot to be Satan. Let's read it. I'm serious. Patriarchs and Prophets. 36 to 37. The angels joyfully acknowledged the supremacy of Christ and prostrating themselves before him, poured out their love and adoration. Lucifer bowed with them. Now hold on. But in his heart, there was a strange, fierce conflict. Truth, justice, and loyalty were struggling against envy and jealousy. The influence of the holy angels seemed for a time to carry him with them. As songs ascended in melodious strains swelled by thousands of glad voices, the spirit of evil seemed vanquished. Unutterable love thrilled his entire being. That's some music, friends. Satan's sitting here deceiving, taking a third of the angels, and now he's in this praise and worship session, and he's going, the music was impacting the devil's soul. (laughs) Music, it just just doesn't really matter. No, you know, it doesn't impact me, it doesn't influence me, it's just like there. (laughs) Really? So in other words, your mind after 6,000 years of sin is more able to handle the music than a being before the fall. No. Don't think so. His soul, listen to this, crazy, his soul went out in harmony 
with the sinless worshipers in love to the Father and the Son. <laughs> Is there power in music? <laughs> yeah. There's power in music, friends. And don't you ever let anybody tell you that there isn't. Because that would be a really ignorant thing to believe. And after this weekend, you're going to be far too armed to ever believe that again. Praise the Lord. Revelation 12, verse 9. Obviously, we know what happened as that note of discord, and then the heavenly rapture starts to, uh, this song starts to enrapture Satan's soul even, and he's left up, and even love starts to spill out from him, but then he decides, no, I'm just too filled with pride, and man, I can't look bad, so I have to go against God, and there was war in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, that old choir director called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out where? Right here. He was cast out right here in Southern California. It's true. Now, please understand, I don't just mean only Southern California, but he definitely hasn't left out Southern California. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Southern California that influences the whole wide world. Am I right? Yeah. But the devil definitely hasn't left out Southern California or Loma Linda or Loma Linda University or the Seventh-day Adventist Church or perhaps our own homes, our own vehicles, our own minds. The reality is the devil will go anywhere he possibly can wherever he's allowed. As for me and my house, he ain't allowed in Amen? As for my car, he's not allowed in. As for my smartphone, he's not allowed on there. So let me ask you a question. How many of you might be bringing the devil with you even to church? Not because of the device, but because of what we've allowed on the device to possibly steal our souls from God. If music can move the devil to worship God, even for a period of time, then conversely, music could, for a period of time, cause me to worship the devil. Yes or no? Yes. We're just going to have plain logic this weekend. Amen? Awesome. So he was cast out to this earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Not just him, but a third of the host of heaven are cast out with him, and they come and pitch their tent right here. And they want to do everything they can to distract us from God. No longer free to stir up rebellion in heaven, Satan's enmity against God found a new field in plotting the ruin of the human race. He would change their love. Listen to this interesting use of words here. He would change their love to distrust and their songs of praise. Interesting, she's using musical terms again, talking about music. Their songs of praise to reproaches against their maker. Oops. Thus, he would not only plunge these innocent beings into the same misery which he was himself enduring, but would cast dishonor upon God and cause grief 
in heaven. And we all know what happens after this. Our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, become the object of Satan's attention. He attacks. Interestingly enough, Ellen White says, in melodious tones. Was he singing to her? I don't know. I don't know what, how else to have a melodious tone when you speak. Maybe it's just, come on over here, Eve. I don't know what he was saying. I don't know how he said it. But we know he spoke with her, right? He sounded in melodious tones. And eventually, this attack, this deception, this distraction from their maker would cause all of the pain and misery and suffering for 6,000 years upon billions and billions of souls. She listened to one wrong song. Is that true? She was listening to the tune of someone other than God. And she bought in. And they decided that this is who we want to be our God, basically. And they began to turn their back on God. We know the rest of the story, right? And it's been a tough one. And the bottom line of all of it, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we should be sober. That means we should be what? What does sober mean? Does that mean to be aware? Does that mean to be drunken with the cares of life? No. It means to be sober, to be keenly and acutely aware. Be sober and be vigilant. That means don't let the guard drop. Be vigilant. Be consistent. Stay on it. Never give up. Never stop. Because your adversary, the devil, as a little kitten. Is that what the Bible says? Does God picture the devil as a little kitten that might cause a little surface scratch? No. And there's a reason. Because he is as a what? A roaring lion. Do lions scratch people? Is that all they do? No, what do they want to do? He wants to devour our souls. He wants to consume us. He wants to eat us and digest us. He wants us to become one with Him. Be aware, the Bible tells us. Be careful because the devil, your adversary, that means he has nothing good intended for us. Amen. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Have you ever been to a zoo and you watch those lions? And they just do that and you're like, oh, thank God for fences. <laughs> Amen? I mean, imagine then this next year I might be going to South Africa for a GYC uh, convention, or uh, yeah, a convention there. And they want to take me on a safari. That's awesome. I can't wait. They said, we will treat you well, brother. We'll take you on a safari. And I said, as long as we can drive faster than they can run, I'm in. Because I can't outrun them, right? Friends, the point is you and I cannot outrun the devil by ourselves. We must be in Christ and Christ will steer us clear of the devil. Do you believe that tonight? 
Do you believe that tonight? Praise the Lord. Satan, the great adversary, he hates you because God loves you. Period. He is still alive and well. These are truths. He has perverted everything he can. He wants to accomplish one thing to distract us from Jesus. That's it. No matter what that might be in your life. Now, this weekend we're going to talk more about music as our, as our example. But every principle we learned this weekend, you can apply to any area in your life. It's not just music. These are biblical sound principles that can be applied anywhere. So, is music of an earthen origin or a heavenly origin? It is of a heavenly origin. In fact, we know that music was there long before we were. In fact, in Zephaniah, I love this, the Lord thy God will joy over thee with singing. So not only is music in heaven, not only have we heard that the angels sing in heaven, but God himself sings. In fact, we're told that he breaks out in song over every repentant soul. Wow. That means God has sung about me. Amen? Amen? Have you let God sing about you lately? I at least want him to sing about me every day because I try to die daily every day, right? It's a struggle because I'm a type A personality and I like to be in control. Manuscript releases 5, page 197. There is great power in music. It was music from the angelic throng that thrilled the hearts of the shepherds on Bethlehem's plains and swept around the world. Isn't it interesting that it was with the, with the announcement of Christ's birth was with music. I mean, when you start to look at biblically how much music is in the Bible, it's actually everywhere. I think a musical God created a musical people. That's why we like music so much. It is with music and songs of victory that the redeemed shall finally enter upon the immortal reward. So we're going to be singing all the way into the pearly gates. Are you singing a new song today? Are you going to sing the song of Moses and his experience? Will you be able to go around the universe and sing the song of your experience? These are all direct quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy, by the way. Music we know is a blessing. God created music. God himself sings. God loves music. I got those backwards. He himself sings that we saw in Zephaniah uh, 317. He gave music to us as a gift. If you look in three selected messages, 335. And he knows how music can move and affect us. Messages to young people, 291. And we will get to that quote. When used properly, which is a key, which we will find later in 1 Testimonies 5.06. When music is used properly, my friends, it can draw us closer to Christ, helping us to live in 
harmony with Him. When wrongly used, to use a poor word, it can bring disharmony in our relationship and it can become a distraction. This creates a dilemma for the Christian. This is why the 12-hour series is entitled The Distraction Dilemma. Let's define this quickly. Distraction. Distraction is a diversion. To divert the eye or the attention. A drawing apart to disorder the reason. This is specifically what the devil wants to do. He wants to draw us apart from God to disorder our reason. In fact, neurologically speaking, frontal lobe implications as well. You can literally cause your reasoning powers to be short-circuited by different kinds of music. And we're going to talk about that a lot tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk all about the frontal lobe. It's amazing. It, it, that's probably the area that excites me the most about all of it. It's just incredible. So distraction is a, desert, a diversion to divert the eye or the attention, a drawing apart to disorder the reason. So any situation, a dilemma now, a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives, a predicament, a problem, or a struggle. So the devil wants to distract us away from God so we can mess with our reasoning abilities and present to us now two alternatives. What's funny is that in the world of music, in the world in general, many times there are two different kinds of music served up. For instance, for instance the Beatles were served up by a music company and the Rolling Stones were served up by the same music company. The Christians said, oh, the Rolling Stones, they're of the devil. I only listen to the Beatles. Not ever considering who was serving up both plates. Does that make sense? You see, what the devil does, he wants to distract us, cause us to lose focus of Christ, and now he'll offer up many times multiple plates, and we don't even have the discernment to go, yeah, but all three of these aren't good. And we choose the least evil, quote-unquote. So, when... We look at the word distraction, the title distraction dilemma. This is any diversion presented to the Christian that could draw his attention away from God. And that's my lovely wife, and that was a couple years younger version of me, and probably a highly photoshopped version of me. No. Uh, but I'm going to give you now our story. And our story is quite interesting. We'll give you a little bit of where we came from and what role music played in our lives. And since I have a little extra time tonight, I'll give you more of my testimony than I normally would. We figured out that music played a huge role in both of our lives. Now, I did not ever intend on having a full-time ministry. We have a full-time ministry now. We have several employees, five or six employees now. We got accountants. We got all this kind of stuff now. I never, ever anticipated this would happen. I did not set out to start a ministry. God started that, 
And I finally went, oh, I think God's starting a ministry here. Because that's so interesting, because Kobe and I were both not raised in a Christian home. So I'll share her story with you. Kobe was raised in a non-Christian home. I'm used to, there we go. Kobe was raised in a non-Christian home. She was raised in a good home. She was taught to have morals, and this is Kobe's parents. Interestingly enough, both her parents now work for the ministry full-time. And as a miracle, they are now Christians. As I tell you more of my story, you'll see just how much of a miracle that is. She was raised in a good home. She was taught to have morals and respect. Morals on the level of, you know, you got to be kind, you got to be sweet, you got you know, you to help people and that stuff like that. Things that are wonderful and Christian-based, but there was no religion in her home. There was nothing that taught her of, of, of uh, you know, uh, intimacy and purity there and all those kinds of things because she was just raised in a worldly home. But she was taught to be a good person. Music was a huge part of her life. Um, here she is with her... Oh, no, I have not advanced enough here. Here we go. Here she is with her Thriller t-shirt back in the day. Some of you are old enough to know what that means. Her teenage life was wrapped up in music. As a teenager... She lived out her emotions through music. She was smart enough and knew better that if she was upset with her parents, that she wouldn't yell at them and get into a confrontation with them. She would just go into her room and crank up her music and live out her rebellious, angry feelings that way. Can anybody understand or relate to what she's talking about? A lot of people will use music to self-medicate. A lot of people will use music to act out those feelings. Now, let's be clear here. Is it better to perhaps go to your room and deal with this than it would be to duke it out with mom and dad? That is a better alternative. But as a Christian, my friends, and she wasn't, but now what we understand as a Christian is that there's far better resources than some cheap piece of music to help me get through the issues of my heart. Amen? The Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, prayer, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, ministering angels. But see, we didn't know any of this. So we just went to things like music because that's all we had. I did the same thing. If she was upset, she would put on a song. Now, this is something that women do, man. I'm telling you what, I don't do this. I never even did. But when they're upset, they'll put on a sad song and make themselves even more upset. <laughs> oh, he just doesn't love me anymore. Oh, I just don't know what happened. He broke my heart. So let's play 52 songs about breaking my heart. <laughs> it's like misery loves company. Why would you do that to yourself? I had a friend tell me, he was such a positive guy. I said, how come you're so happy all the time? He goes, I felt depressed once. I didn't like it, so I never did it again. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's awesome. Some of us go, I feel depressed. Just load it on. Put me that far away from suicide. Seriously, though, 
Friends, this is what's happening in our young people. People get upset. People get sad. Do you realize that there was a, a bomb scare on, on a Southern Adventist University's campus just yesterday? Do you know what it was over? A young man that didn't get the transfer done the way he wanted it to, apparently. He got upset and he made this threat and everybody went, ah! He's like, I'm going to blow up the school. And they're like, mm, mm, mm. I have a young friend of mine, she's in the cafeteria going, I can't get out, the cops are blocking the door. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with our emotions without God. Yet we use all of this media and all this music to mess with our emotions. And if we're sad and upset, we'll just jack ourselves up even more. And we wonder why these kids are going out and going, da, 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 and mowing down kids at school. Most of the time, they can go back and say, these kids were playing these first-person shooter games. Hello? It's true. By beholding, we become changed. Are we becoming more like God day by day? Or more like the devil and his nasty army? Even picking up arms. And this is what my wife, long before she was my wife, but this is what she would do. She'd get sad, she'd just draw it all out. You know, she just knows how I feel. She's my favorite songwriter. Wow, wallow in the mud of depression together. How sad is that? How many times have you in real, listen, in real life, think this through, when somebody's sad and depressed and they walk into church, how many times have you grabbed them and just pulled them aside and got deep down into their depression? Have you ever done that with somebody? Let me just get into that depression with you. And you just, it's a very rare situation, friends. It's not a, it's not a, a, a common situation. Normally what you try to do is encourage and help that person, Amen. You don't try to join in with them and then let's just go deeper, you know. No. But friends, this is one way how we do misuse music. It's not even natural. You see what I'm saying? This will develop more over the weekend as we go on. This is a direct quote from my dear wife. She says, music was my sympathizer. Music was my defender. It was my comforter. It's what I turned to to get me through whatever was going on in my life. And that's really quite a sad thing to say. She had very eclectic tastes in music as well. It ranged from Faith Hill to Def Leppard. She listened to Madonna, Depeche Mode, Alabama, Belle Biv DeVoe, The Cranberries, Queen Shrike, Mariah Carey, uh, Joe Satriani, Earth, Wind & Fire, Jodeci, Journey, Avril Lavigne, and on and on and on. And I had just as eclectic of a sound uh, library as she did. The other thing that she absolutely loved were movie soundtracks. And she would buy album after album after album because she just loved these movie soundtracks. And she would get lost in the visualness of the movie. She'd get lost again with uh, the, the soundtrack. And then whenever she'd play it in her car, she was right back there visually. Have you ever experienced that? You see, it's interesting. The more senses you get involved, we'll talk about this tomorrow, the more senses you get involved, the more of an impact and an imprint it makes on your soul. Very interesting. 
So she loved these probably, she says, the reason I think I really love the soundtracks the most is because built into those, in many of these movies, is a deep emotional content or motive, as we would call it, in the song itself. And so she's a, an emotional listener. So when she would listen to these things, these different soundtracks, the emotional content was being very effectively conveyed and she would take on the same emotion. By the time she had met me, she had been drawn away by a, from a lot of this music. Music was her only constant though. It was the one thing that she felt nothing ever changed in her life. And she could count on it whenever she needed it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are certain patterns in our lives many times. And if we go through this certain pattern, we get disappointed, all of a sudden we go over here and we take that musical medication. What we don't do is we don't break that cycle and instead of going to that musical medication that can't fix anything, it only puts a little pause button on that emotional state or enhances it. Then when we're done listening, we have the same problem. It hasn't gone away. And instead of running to God and saying, Father, I need help, we go to a song and it doesn't fix anything. It might change or alter our mood emotionally for a period of time, but that doesn't fix anything. You see the difference? Growing up with music the way that she did, she did not realize that she had grown so dependent on music. And she couldn't imagine a life without her music. That's the other thing is people go, that's my music. That's, That's my music. You didn't create it. No, that's mine. Don't take my music from me, buddy. We take such ownership. We don't even, women in their shoes, they don't even claim them so strong. Those are my shoes. No, it's like, that's my music. And they'll even like clutch their heart. That's my music. We take such ownership as though we wrote it, as though we sang it and performed it. It came out of our heart. No, that's mine. What if we were to claim my Jesus like that? That is my word of God. Amen? That would be so powerful. I think we'd have a more awesome life as a Christian, more connected life. And throughout her walk, she's had great struggles with music. She had a far greater time struggling with music than I, I had. I had a much bigger struggle with, with movies and television I happened to be in the television side of ministry, and I was in that in the world for 20-something years. And so for me, that's more where my struggle lies, even though I did struggle a lot with music, but hers was so deep and so emotional, and she didn't realize how much it had a hold of her soul. It wasn't until she actually decided to take time to really try to understand some of these questions and look at is this truly impacting me positively or negatively that her eyes were opened? And if you haven't done that experiment yet with the Lord, uh, by the end of the week, and I'm hoping that will probably develop for you. So let's talk about me for a second. 
I was raised in a non-Christian home as well. My parents were divorced when I was seven years old. My mother remarried about a year later, and that's when our nightmare began. There was no spirituality in our home. There was no moral compass in our home. And as a result, I'm the toothless one, by the way. That's me right there. Uh, I've always had lots of thick hair, and uh, now if I grow it out long, I look like a big bush man. So I have to go short, and it just goes like this. So uh, that's one thing my mother blessed me with, was lots of hair. My mother remarried, and our nightmare began. My stepfather immediately was an authoritarian. He had been in the military, and he ran his house like the military. Woke up many mornings with a cast iron pan and a metal spoon as the alarm. Bang, 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 up and at him, up and at him, bang, bang, bang. He's like, you know, you know. The reality was, from the morning onward, the life was stressful. He became very abusive physically. I was hit so hard in the head, I had a grand mal seizure, wound up in the hospital. Um, I was hit repeatedly over the head. One of his favorite things was to attack the head. He hit us over the head with metal soup ladles and uh, grab your hair and just shake you down. And before you know it, you're laying on the floor. You don't know when you passed out. Um, I was whipped so, so much from my neck to my ankles, literally, I had crisscrossed raised welts all up and down my backside. Couldn't even sit down in class. I was, I was just, it was our life. I had been whipped. I had been beaten. I had been tied up. I had been grounded for an entire summer because I was with a friend that did something wrong and I didn't do it. I was just with him. But the mental gains were the worst. And he would mess with our heads. And I, I won't tell you the whole story tonight, but he would taunt us with what our punishment would be and then have us even whittle the sticks that he would whip us with. And it was just really, really twisted. And so there was lots of opportunity in my life to want to run away and escape. And so I ran to music. And I listened to a lot of different kinds of music as well. We'll see that in just a moment. But I was a latchkey kid. You know what that is, right? That's uh, basically let yourself out of school, go home, let yourself in the front door, lock the door behind you, do all your chores, do your homework before your parents come home because both of my parents worked full-time jobs. So we basically, throughout the whole day, raised ourselves after we were done with school. So my, we were home for a three- to four-hour period, sometimes even longer. My stepfather started his own metal fabrication uh, company, and uh, if we weren't at home doing chores, we were picked up after school or after dinner, and we would go to the, to the shop and work it late into the night. And so we would rock out to music, and the music was always playing, all the music of the 60s and 70s, because that's what he really grew up on and he loved. And so I, I have all of that, just thousands of hours of that music just in my soul. And it's, it's just there. And we would sweep the floors and drill presses and painting and all this kind of stuff just as these little kids. And many times the abuse was worse when mom wasn't around at the shop because there was no, no restraint. So I wanted to run away and escape. And so I would run away to 
my music. And I took ownership of some of those, those types of musics. But unfortunately, my, my music uh, was so diverse, it ranged from, from rap to hip-hop to death metal to, I mean, ACDC and Def Leppard and Motley Crue. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Yet, I also liked Chicago and I liked all these other groups out there that had, you know, sailing takes me away. Oh yeah, I wanted to go away, I can tell you that. And so I would just imagine myself, I'm just not here right now. I don't feel in this pain right now. I'm just not here right now. And so I was self-medicating as well. I was trying not to feel what I was feeling, but I needed different emotions. Other times, though, when I, I never got into the sad, depressed stuff, and I'd listen to sad, depressed stuff. I was a sad, depressed kid. I was suicidal, but I never listened to that sad, depressed stuff. I always listened to the angry stuff many times. I was just a, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take them out, you know, and I wanted to one of these days. I was so angry and so mad. And, but I, and I would foster and grow that within me. Well, not a good thing. That is definitely not God's plan. Amen? So I distracted myself with, with music, with movies, with TV, with videos. There was no spirituality in my home. There was no hope. There was no help out of the situation. My family members, many of them knew what was going on, but nobody said anything. Today, you pat your child a little bit too hard, you get thrown in jail almost, it seems like. Back then, everybody's like, I don't see nothing, you know. So a lot different 35 years ago. I would sit in my room, listen to different records over and over and over just to escape my reality. Music became a safe place to me and a huge distraction for me. Uh, our, Our nightmare continued um, and then, this is me with the puka shells, uh, I, in high school, we moved from one school to another when my mother finally divorced my stepfather. I had gone to Child Protective Services, and this, in conjunction with my mother invited to a Christian woman's retreat, the two different events woke her up, and she eventually divorced my evil stepfather. Praise God. It's almost like I could hear the angels sing that day. We had to move away with the police standby. We had the police there because we didn't know how he was going to go when, when she told him that morning we were leaving and the family showed up with the U-Haul trucks and we packed up and we took off. I remember thinking, I'm free. And friends, there's two times in my life that I have indeed felt free. One time is when my mother said, we are leaving. And that day when we left, we, I just wept. The second time I felt free in my life was when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Because I had been so oppressed. I had been such a, such a captive. And it's true that he sets the captives free. I'm one of them. Praise God. In high school, I found a new method of escaping who I was, and I got involved in theater. That's me playing Count Dracula. Putting a young lady in a trance. 
hypnotizing her. We were free. I was now in the theater arts, singing, dancing, and acting, which would be a part of my life for the next six, seven years, eventually into professional performing in theater, on TV, and my mother finally got remarried to a good man. In fact, he even owned a Bible, and he read it. Doesn't really matter if you own a Bible. He actually read it. And this began a process that took many years for my mother to finally become a Christian. Praise God, she is a Christian today. She remarried. Music continued to be a safe place for me. Theater and acting, singing and dancing became a safe place for me. As my life advanced, I got involved in... Oh, I'm behind for you guys, I'm sorry. I'm not used to having to hit two things here, so please forgive me. My mom remarried, and I got involved with some business partners of mine. They were both actors as well. Um, this man was one of our employees, and we got involved in business together. There were three of us, not this man, but another man, and um, we became quite successful quite quickly. And uh, at the height of our success, I had 30 32, I think it was, 30-something employees, and myself and this lady right here, we were running the company. And my TV career had taken off. I had started doing producing TV now and working uh, with everything from the camera to lighting to producing to directing, and I was growing my, my resume. And then I got distracted by business and by money. I thought, wow, money's pretty cool. We didn't have much of it growing up, and now I was starting to make a good share of it. And I enjoyed life. I was the life of the party. I was the guy paying for the parties. <laughs> and then eventually when my business partner had finally, not finally, but when my business partner eventually embezzled our company into the ground, I lost everything and my so-called friends as well. As I had mentioned to you, my music tastes, my music, interesting, whenever my life got really bad, it's when my need for the music and the movies, the distractions, increased. When I was, when I was busy with productive things, I just didn't seem to have as much time for it, and I didn't even really miss it. But when things were going so bad and so different, man, it's almost though I couldn't get through my day without it. Isn't that interesting? Well, I listen to a bunch of different kinds of music. Of course, I have Michael Jackson, Foreigner, Air Supply, Guns N' Roses, Beastie Boys, ACDC, Motley Crue, Kiss, The Police, Run DMC, Public Enemy, Billy Idol, Christopher Cross, The Cars, and on and on and on. It's like I listen to everything. And people say, you can look into the window of someone's soul by the music they listen to. Well, I was a pretty messed up soul. That's the reality. Because I listened to, I, I never read anything. Uh, reading, that was just took effort, you know. But the reality was I was reading and memorizing lyrical content voluminously. I mean, I was reading books, if you will, and it was being lodged in my brain like, like I had never perceived. Eventually, I met the Lord. And here I was, that's me, the disciple-looking guy. 
<laughs> my, <laughs> my, um, I went all the way, man. I was like, give me the long hair, give me the rope. No, I didn't. But I mean, the reality was, friends, I went from being an egotistical, very difficult person. I mean, I was, I was likable, but I was, I was so egotistical. When you're written up in the papers and you're interviewed on TV and you're winning awards and all this stuff, before you know it, you're just walking around like, hey, what's up? You are privileged to be in my presence. And my, my ego arrived long before I ever did wherever I went. And it's amazing that God can get a hold of an egomaniac. You understand why? Okay, I became such an egomaniac because I had been so beaten down and stripped of anything as a kid that when I started and I was shown that I was good at anything, I just put all of my effort into it and I, I was like, I will excel at this. I will be the best at it, no matter what it was. And so eventually I went from C's, D's, and F's to being in college on 4.0 on the president's list because someone challenged me. Am I saying that to brag? No, what I'm saying is when I was beaten down so much as a young person and tore down and had no self-worth or self-image, when all of a sudden people start heaping some praises on you, man, that's why my head got so big. And then God got a hold of me and went, you know, I was like, you know, I was like, I, but I needed to be deflated. Are you with me? Do you hear what I'm saying? I, it, it's, a, it's an amazing to me, I stand before you as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Miracle of God. God is able. So, I actually went to work from the world. I had lost everything. I was... Kobe and I were together. I couldn't figure out what was going on with my life and why things were spiraling like out of control. And, and normally I was always in control. But everything was being turned upside down. We had moved. I said, finally, that's fine. I'm getting back into production. TV and video production. So I was taking any job I could possibly take and listening to as much music because I was pretty not happy and I was watching everything, movie and TV show to just try to medicate. And finally I realized, this isn't working. You got to do something with your life again. I was only 24 years old now. And I had to start over again. I lost everything. Even my car. I had a six-figure bankruptcy at 24 years old. Talk about wah, wah, wah. If I wasn't careful, I could have become a very bitter, depressed person. And so what happens then is I go and I tell these different cable companies and production companies, anybody, look, I'm back out here. Here's my resume. Hire me for whatever position you want. I just got to put my life back together. I got to get back on my financial legs. And a director called, producer called me and said, Christian, I have a four-day shoot. It's just a three-camera setup. Um, I'll need you to direct as well as run some camera. When I'm not there, uh, you can direct. And uh, here's what it pays. I said, what is it? He says, it's a camp meeting. I said, what's a camp meeting? He says, I don't know. It's a meeting about camping. I don't know. <laughs> and I said, cool. I grew up camping. I'm in. So I went to 
Lodi, California, where I was living in the valley there. I'm a valley guy. And uh, looking for that guy in the white shirt. His name is Danny Vieira. And he was running this camp meeting. And so I went to him and I said, hi, my name's Chris. By the way, Christian, don't, you were not going to call me Christian. That was not my name. Christians were pathetic people that had to look at some God up in the sky to make them feel better. And they were going to go sit on a cloud and strum a harp forever. And I'm like, I'm out. That's really what my perspective of Christians were, that they were weak people that couldn't make a decision and they were vacillating and, you know, driving along in their little car, da, 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 bang, bang, you know, the Lord will provide. And I'm like, eh. I'm all, woo, woo, woo. I don't think so, you know, but that's where I came from. I'm just being honest with you guys. I had not met a Christian at, up to this point in my life that had impressed me. Can I be honest? I had not met a Christian that had impressed me until I met Danny. Danny didn't have it done, wasn't doing it perfectly, but he was all in. I don't know if any of you know Danny, but he was all in. He was all in, a little fanatical, but he was all in. I know now what fanatical looks like. I was thinking, that's pretty all in, you know. But the reality is, he says, as I talk to him, hey, I'm Chris, I'm here to, to uh, help you with your shoot. Do we need to talk about camera angles? Do we need like a handheld camera for your tent demonstrations or whatever you're going to be doing? He's like, what? I'm like, it's a camp meeting, right? As I show up on campus, there's people with motorhomes. Motor camp meeting, right? There, there's people that are over here with their tents. Camp meeting, right? There's even people with ice chests. Camp meeting. There's people... Ladies wearing skirts or dresses with hiking boots on. <laughs> True story. True story. And she's laughing because she probably did. But the reality is, I'm thinking camping. We're probably going to go on a hike. I'd never seen anybody hike in a dress, but I guess they do it here. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, this is all about camping. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, I, okay, I see where you're going from. He goes, no, these are religious meetings that people camp at. Serious. <laughs> Have I come so low that I'm shooting religious content now? And that's where my thinking was. I can't believe my life has taken such a lame turn that I'm actually sitting here going to shoot a weekend of preachers. I mean, I came from ESPN Sports, Nickelodeon children's programming. I came from PBS documentaries to, to this. I was like, how low can it go? But that was my perspective. Really, I was switching teams and I didn't even realize it. Because as I was sitting there, I'm going to tell you this, I, I'm sorry, hopefully we're not getting too far off track here. We've we got to get back to some of this content. As I was listening to these people preach, I must tell you, I was intrigued. There's a guy up there talking about Bible prophecy. I'd never heard of prophecy except for a prophet in Nostradamus, and I, would, I liked reading what he had to predict and all this kind of stuff. And then this guy's talking about that America was predicted in the Bible. I'm like, what? You know, and then he's like, and, and all these kingdoms rising and falling was all predicted. I'm like, what? I couldn't even believe it. 
Like, are you kidding me? It's like there's actually something tangible there. And then Danny's up there talking about health and Daniel and Daniel's diet. And at that time, he was probably my age, 45 or whatever. And he's dropping down, ripping off all these, you know, push-ups and he's buffed and he's like almost ready to burst out of his jacket because he used to be a bodybuilder. And he's talking about how Daniel ate pulse and I eat pulse. And I'm thinking, what's pulse? I didn't know there were vampires in the Bible. No, I'm serious. What's pulse to an educated person? It's pulse, right? I'm thinking, creepy. I'm not eating what that guy's going to eat. You know, is that really beet juice? Or, you know, no. So, anyway, I, I'm sit- you have to understand, when you're a guy on the outside listening to you guys in your lingo, it can be really confusing. And so, I'm sitting here going, what's pulse? And finally, I figure out, because he's talking pulse, it's vegetables, it's a vegetable soup kind of thing, or, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know. So, he's talking about, he eats pulse. And talking about how he's, as he drove in from his country home to the city, that he stopped and had to just pick from the bounty. And he's talking about God provides food everywhere. He had picked a bunch of weeds off the side of the road, edible wild herbs, you know. And he's sitting there eating them, and I'm like, camera one, push in. You know, I'm like, this is good TV, you know. But I'm at least sitting here going, this guy is crazy. But I like him, you know. He's just like all in. You know, it's like his teeth are all green. And I'm like, wow. So then he's talking about over the weekend, do you want to feel better? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, are you on the standard American diet? Are you eating that sad diet? I'm like, yeah. You know. And uh, do you ever drink water? I'm like, I get some when I brush my teeth. <laughs> Why else would you drink water? There's no flavor. I'm serious. I was a Dr. Pepperaholic. If it wasn't colored, it didn't go in my mouth. I mean, pfft. and by the way, the water tastes terrible here. I brushed my teeth earlier. I was like, oh man, I just got a floral tre- a fluoride treatment by drinking that. Anyway, I live in the country and don't have that. That's a whole nother subject. Uh, anyway, uh, the reality is I had to learn so much and unlearn so much, and God wanted to get my attention, but I was so distracted by my music, so distracted by my movies, and I, mine. Notice I said mine. I wasn't making these movie, uh, movies. I wasn't making this music, but they were mine. I was so distracted by my acting, so distracted now by my production career, there was no way God was ever going to have an ear with me because everybody else already had it. Do you see where where we're going with this? Are you being distracted by everything else out there and you cannot hear the still, small voice of Jesus? That was my testimony. I could not even hear. If God would have been yelling, I wouldn't have heard it. Everybody else had my attention. I didn't have an iPod back then, but I had a Walkman. And I made my own custom mixes. And I would wear out my tapes because I wanted to plug in and tune everything else out and just medicate. And so this is how Danny met me. An emotionally messed up guy that had no childhood that was awesome, was terrible. I 
was in and out of relationships with women because I was very confused about what love was all about. In fact, I had bought into the nasty kind of love that my hip-hop and my rap taught me all about. Hello, anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had bought all of these devilish lies, and I was so confused on how to be a man, how to be a human being. And God needed to start working in my heart. And you know where he started? With my diet. Straight up. He started with my diet because he had to clear up my, my physiological system. Before you know it, I found out I had some health problems. Danny's in the health field. He helped me through a, a nasty protocol of juicing and detoxing. He's very good at it now. It's actually tasty what he does now. But it wasn't when I was his guinea pig. Uh, <laughs> And he was his own guinea pig, too. He's like, you know, we're talking about we're, we're battling, you know, precancerous condition in my colon. I'd been diagnosed, and I was, I was only 24, 23-ish now at the time, and I'm, I'm having serious problems. And, and my wife, or my fiancé at the time, Kobe and I, we moved down to Santa Barbara area. I was going to go to Brooks Institute, a fine arts college there, and study film because I wanted to be a filmmaker. Well... As we moved here, I found out I had all my problems because he and I were shooting a documentary on alternative cancer therapies down in Mexico because you can't help cancer here. It's against the law the way that they do it down there. Um, so I wound up having a revelation once my brain was cleaned up a little bit, my physiology was cleaned up a little bit. You see, the food had ceased to be a distraction because I became vegan overnight. And by the way, it's the best way to go. I've lived the other way, hands down. It's like, why would you want to be on the sugar water when you could be on jet fuel? You, some of you guys are, are okay with the sugar water. Nasty toilet water compared to the jet fuel I'm on. How do you have so much energy? Because I just eat like God told me to. Amen? He knows what fuel to put in. And so God started, food was no longer confusing me and distracting me away from God. I didn't even know that there was a God. I didn't care about a God. Frankly, I didn't, wasn't interested in any sort of God that would allow me to live in the kind of life that I had to live in as a child. That was a hard one for me to get over. And him being a father figure, no thank you. My biological father in and out of my life up to this day. Drugs, alcohol, AWOL from the army, loser. My stepdad, bad, evil guy. So now you're going to talk to me about a God that wants to burn me in hell forever for stealing a piece of gum. That was my perception of how God was. So God needed to flush my head. Are you with me? God needed to flush my thinking and the only way he could do that was by cleaning up my physiology. And then he needed to work on my emotional person, my emotional side. So I would medicate with this. Danny helped me through many different things, not, not spiritually speaking, other than he led me to the Word. He would just keep directing me back to the Word. And that's where the power is, my friends. Amen? And so eventually I was baptized as I had accepted everything that the Seventh-day Adventist Church taught. But interestingly enough, I didn't become a legitimate Seventh-day Adventist. 
because little did I know, Danny was an independent Seventh-day Adventist, and he didn't want anything to do with the church. Did I understand all that? No. Do I understand it now? Yes. Am I an ordained elder in our church? I am. Do I believe this church is going to go through? I do. Does it look like it's going to about to stumble and fall, but it doesn't? Yes. Will there be many that are sifted out and sifted in? Yes. But I want to be part of the solution. How about you? Amen. Amen. So eventually, Kobe and I, uh, I got to leave out a bunch of stuff, but I eventually went to work for Danny. And Danny probably did the best thing he could have done in my life. He doesn't even realize how much of an impact this had. He said, if you're going to go live, because I was going to move now, into this little house, working for his ministry, a health ministry. And he said that house was bought by God's money, and nothing of the world of the devil can go into that house. He said, no TV, no radio, no secular magazines. I just came from the world doing productions for the world, and guess what I said? Okay. You want to know why? Friends, I needed something different. I don't need, and I wasn't looking for, a sold-out worship service. Hello? I already had whatever I wanted. You don't win me by giving me what I already have. We must provide an alternative for those who are seeking. Amen? Yes. We're gonna, by the end of tomorrow evening, all of this is going to all tie together because it's really amazing what God wants to accomplish through his people, but we're running over to Babylon saying, hey, Babylon, teach us how to worship the God that we worship on, on his Sabbath day. What? Since when does the Sabbath-keeping church go to Babylon to learn how to worship? It doesn't make any sense. I went and started looking into different churches. I went to the Pentecostal church. I went to Church of God in Christ. I went to all these different churches. I went to the Catholic church. And friends, out of all of those, it seemed like the Catholic church had it the most right in the worship service. It was holy. It was sacred ground. It was awe-inspiring. It wasn't a, a, a rock concert. You see, when we come, we'll, no, we'll get to that tomorrow. We need to build to that. Lord, please be my editor. No, Lord, please speak through me. So I was looking for something different, and by God's grace, I began to find that. God cleans up my mind, physiologically speaking. And, and I now move into this little house that I can't have any of the stuff that I used to medicate with. So guess what I was left with? What? I was left with God. I didn't even know him. But he introduced himself to me because now I could hear him. <laughs> what an easy process. But friends, what scares me is that I see Adventists 
living the way I used to live and they think they're connected to God when I know you can't be. You know why? I used to be there. Because you learned Jesus loves me, this I know. When you were this big, doesn't mean you're hearing God when you're this big. Amen? All of your beautiful upbringing can really be unraveled in a short amount of time by your own choosing. So you can't tell me that the distraction of the world doesn't really matter because you're immune to it. No, you're not. Because I understand how the mind and the body works to a degree, and you're wrong. I shared this with you lovingly because I was once there. Now, I'm not standing here before you as someone who's overcome everything in his life. And and I know you haven't either. You know why? Because we're both here. We both haven't been translated yet. Amen? So we're in the same boat. But friends, if other people have figured some stuff out, man, let's listen to it. Let's think about it. Let's ponder it. At least consider it. Amen? I don't expect you to accept everything I say this weekend, but at least think about it. Don't let the devil put you to sleep while you're here. I needed something different. And indeed, I was given something different. Interestingly enough, I had heard for the first time in my life now some Christian music. Good Christian music. Because Danny didn't have the junk Christian music. And he had asked me if I ever heard the song named People Need the Lord. I'm like, no, I've never heard of it. He goes, here, listen to this. And he had Steve Green sing People Need the Lord. And I'm like, he's like, you should sing that song. Because he had heard me sing at worship one time. And he goes, hey, man, I didn't know you could sing. I said, oh, yeah, past life, you know, back there. Don't want to do that anymore. He said, no, you should learn a song, man. And then when I go out and preach, you could sing a special music. I said, what's a special music? He goes, well, special music is, is uh, it's a music piece that's given right before the sermon. And they just call it special music. Because it's kind of set aside from the other music in the church service. I said, no, no thank you. Because the last thing I wanted to do now was to be up front anymore. Because frankly, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was all about. I didn't know what, what I believed. And to stand up front, you better be believing something. You follow what I'm saying? Or you'll be sniffed out. You'll, you'll be you'll found out real quick. And so as I... Listen to that song. I'm like, I'm not going to sing that. And finally, he goes, just sing it, man. Just learn it. So eventually, I started learning the song. Just kind of went, okay, uncle, I'll do it. So I started listening to the song. I started singing the song in the little ministry that he had. And then finally, he conned me and encouraged me into (laughs) singing before one of his church services. And my knees smote one to the other as I sang that song. Amazingly enough, to this day, the most terrifying thing that I do is sing in public. You know why? Because I respect who's sitting in those seats right there. And I respect who brought you here. And I pray for a audience every time. Lord, this is for you. And my heart races. The butterflies fly. I can preach more comfortably than I can sing. Yet I love to sing but it's a terrifying experiment for me because I'm also battling, please stay humble. This is not about you. This is about God. Amen? And so I needed that time 
of distractionless time. And I was sitting in Danny's house for the first Sabbath, because we had home church at that time. And I was like climbing the walls. All day, we're not doing anything. We already had church that was occupying, that was good. We sang around the table, that was good. We had lunch, and now he wanted to enter into some lay activity, apparently, and just lay around, right? And, and I was just like, I was fit to be tied. I said, look, can, can I go get on the three-wheeler and go for a ride? He's like, no, no, not on the Sabbath. Uh, so everything I said, can I go take a swim in the river? No, 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 I guess whatever. I'm like, <sighs> it was so hard for me. I'm like, literally, because I'm like, go, 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 go. And it had been seven days all of my life. And now all of a sudden, and it seemed like that six or seven hour period, it was ridiculously long. I couldn't wait for the Sabbath to end. Why? I was so in need of rewiring. Now, I walk into my home on Friday night. My wife had these amazing scented candles lit. She has beautiful, soft piano music playing. Popcorn in the air. (laughs) Go up, take a shower, sweetheart. Yes, I will. (laughs) And I just wash off the week. Amen? And now I'm like, the Sabbath is too short. Oh, man. And I would have never experienced that jacked up on all of my other medication. Hello? Is this making sense? And so for me, what I needed to do and what most of us need to do is to put aside all those distractions, be put in an isolation chamber with the Holy Spirit alone. That's too radical. No, it ain't. Been there, done it. It saved my soul. Amen? I'm only here because of this experiment. It wasn't even an experiment. It was an order from my new boss that didn't pay me much. Because we're working for God now, you know. Never mind. That's a whole other subject. So, by the way, we pay our workers a living wage. Hallelujah. <laughs> I said, man, I was too tired of being a church mouse that's so poor. Anyway, I said, no. We will hire people and pay them a living wage living wage, which we're directed to in the spirit of prophecy. Not one indentured servitudism, right? So, the reality is, I detoxed. I could hear God for the first time in my life. And as I was sitting in Danny's house one Sabbath, climbing the walls again, I looked at all of these books in his bookcase. And I said, prophet? of destiny what's that i had heard about ellen white but not much danny was like just teaching the bible i learned learned about the great controversy now in the bible i said hey man what's this he goes oh that's a really cool book on uh describing explaining how ellen white was a prophet i said oh can i borrow this he says yes you may so i poured through that in fact i would go sit down by a river and i just read that 
and I was so astonished at what I read. I was like, man, she's better than Nostradamus. She's like 100% good. And I went to him and I said, she's a prophet. He goes, I know. I said, that's awesome. What else has she written? He said, behold. <laughs> and I went, I mean, it was like, oh. I said, can I read those? He said, all of them. So now I had some Sabbath activity. <laughs> oh, man. Now the Sabbath, oh, no, it's too long. It's too late. You know, it wasn't long enough. I started filling my soul with the truth now. Man, I've been filling my soul since I was a wee little lad with falsehoods, with the devil's lies. I saw a picture of Jesus. When I found the desire of ages, that rocked my world. Now, why am I sharing all this with you? Because, friends, without spending quality time undistracted, we will not hear the voice of God. I know what I'm talking about. I experienced it. After the Lord got a hold of my heart, I eventually asked Kobe to marry me. Look at those young kids. She said yes, obviously. After we had studied, and she accepted everything as well, it made logical sense. If you studied the Bible without any preconceived or bias, as an honest skeptic, the most logical thing to become is a Seventh-day Adventist. The most logical thing. So eventually, when I lived in that ministry house, a lot of my music and Kobe's music, she moved in the house with me, was boxed up and put in storage. We couldn't have anything worldly in there. And so... It was out of her life, out of my life, and our life was revolutionized. Eventually, though, when we moved and went to a different ministry, um, we uncrated that box, and those songs and those albums began to call our names. We didn't get them out when we should have gotten them out. And they're like, hello, remember me? Oh, man. Remember that? Yeah. That was my favorite, you know? It's, it's going, ah! You know, you're like, no, you know. Ah! No. It's like the demons of hell are in some of these. And, and I'm just like reminiscing. And the Lord impresses us both. Destroy them now. We went out and through no short act of God, on my wife's side especially. We didn't just throw them away. We broke them. We stepped on them. And before you know it, we started breaking them more. And we're like, yeah. And it was like this like, release that was starting to happen for her. And for the first time, even though those had been tucked away, even though her father, as a sweet gift, had given her a custom mix of some of her fondest childhood music as a birthday gift, she destroyed them all. And she was free. Uh, the house had been cleansed. She was free. I was free. And my, excuse me, my music 
had, had been discarded of. Hers at that point was hers. But our music collection had become both of ours because we were together. So some of my stuff was in there. But as far as I knew, all my stuff that I had, that, had already take, that was already gone. But some of my stuff was still in there because we had been separated for a while while I found the Lord. Anyway, long story short, we get married. I was making personal decisions to follow the Lord. And unfortunately, I hadn't made a personal decision about music. I had simply made a decision not to listen to it because Danny basically said anything secular, it needs to be out. So I didn't understand where the rules or the boundaries lay with music. And basically, I just got rid of anything that was secular and anything that was a hymn. That's what I allowed into my life. That was it. And my heart, my soul, had a big hole in there, it seemed like. And you got to be careful, because if you don't replace the bad with good, you have seven more demons coming in. You follow what I'm saying? And so, as a result, I just erred on the side of caution, because it had been such a big part of my life in the past, that I just decided I'm not going to listen to really anything. And so music just kind of fell out of my life for a while. And it fell out of Kobe's for a while. And I don't recommend that only for a short period of time as a detox. But God doesn't want music not in our life. God wants music in our life. Just music that he himself approves of. Amen? And so we'll go over some principles uh, tomorrow. And what's interesting is we've removed a lot of things from our life, certain movies, certain music, uh, but unfortunately we didn't always understand why we needed to remove them, and we didn't understand, and we didn't necessarily always have the conviction from the Holy Spirit, but some good, loving, conservative, even neo-Nazi conservative Adventists would come to us and say, well, you know, and you know, and you know, and before everybody would heap all this new information on the new person, by the way, don't do that. Let the Holy Spirit lead you when to do that. I know you have to tell them, but they need to know. It's true. But let the Holy Spirit lead you as to when to do that, right? I say it this way. People will come to you and go, you know, you shouldn't be eating cheese. Uh, uh, hi, my name's Christian. What was yours? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. You're head of, of what? Health and temperance. What's that? Oh, okay, yeah. I, I shouldn't be eating cheese? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And the Holy Spirit, now is it true? Uh, the reality is, if you study it out, and the Spirit of Prophecy says that it's not even a food, it's not even fit for human consumption. That's, I don't know how you argue with that, but it's there. And the reality is the number one cause of allergy, and okay, but never mind, but the reality is this. If the Holy Spirit hasn't told you to open your mouth, zip it. <laughs> right? Why? Here's why. Because what if she comes, you know, you shouldn't be eating cheese, and I'm, I'm sitting here like contemplating suicide. <laughs> no, serious. Listen to the illustration. Because sometimes we're so zealous in our little area <laughs> that we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to give that person the information and the person and the contact and the, the scripture and everything at the, the right time as they need it because we have our own agenda. You follow? The reality is the Holy Spirit's really good at it. And guess what? We're not the Holy Spirit. I figured that out. I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
I wasn't good at it. I tried it. God said, the job's taken. <laughs> I'm serious. I thought I could say, I knew exactly where you were in your walk, depending on what version of Bible you had. Were you vegan or vegetarian? Lacto-ovo? Or were you a meat eater? Meat eater? Well, we'll pray for you. Obviously not in the Word. You're obviously, that's what my brain was doing. And God's like, okay, I'm glad you got this figured out in two years. No, I hadn't. But don't, don't miss the point. Let the Holy Spirit guide and lead you as He will guide and lead you in the pace that He wants to lead you. Your friends may throw things off rapidly. Your, your other friend may take 20 years it doesn't matter. His walk is his walk. His walk is his walk. And your walk is your walk. Just make sure you're walking. Amen? All right. Let's move on. So we removed a lot of things. Um, loving brothers and sisters would come up and give us their information. And over the last 17 years, we've had many triumphs. We've had many setbacks. And eventually... I was led to Jesus. I went to work full-time ministry. I started singing for God. And I started, I released a demo CD that a manager was going to shop around to different labels. Others loved it. Others said it was of God. Others said it was of the devil. The same songs. And I'm thinking, these are both friends of mine. How can they both be right? How can this guy say this is beautiful and amazing and of God, and this guy say this is of the devil? I'm thinking, I don't think I understand. And this began our journey nearly 13 years ago to try to understand music. And friends, I'll be really honest with you. We're all just scratching the surface on this colossal subject. And so this whole seminar was born out of a need for my wife and I to understand music for ourselves. Because after all, God had impressed me to and guide and led me to put together this program called A Vision of Heaven. And it was literally born in about 35 minutes where I read Ellen White's first vision of the people going to heaven and put different songs throughout it. And before I knew it, my wife was like, well, I want to hear it. And so we recorded it. And then the ladies in the church were going, well, if Kobe gets a copy, I get a copy. And all my grandmas in the church all of a sudden became my little distributors. Man. Adventists are really efficient at giving stuff out. It's awesome. It was the birth of our ministry, and I didn't even realize it. And so before you know it, thousands of these little cassettes started selling, and eventually CDs. And, and so God started and birthed our little ministry, a little music ministry. Really? You're going to put me up to sing? I don't even have vocal training. You've got to be You've got to scrape that low on the barrel, Lord. Unfortunately, a lot of our young people, extremely talented, they're running off to the world. Our church doesn't even use music right. There's so much opportunity. Do you realize that, the, that the, the Levites were actually paid by tithe to do music for the service? Yeah. Now it's like, okay, uh, who's going to do some music? I don't know. It's an afterthought. They would work on it, and they did it with excellence. Imagine if we had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Everybody goes, I mean, non-religious people listen to that choir. We should have that choir. 
Man, God wants to do so much through us. Mm, I want to be part of it. So eventually, I was confused by what was right, what was wrong musically, and so we started to study this out. I was, ex- I was rebuked many times. I was praised many times. And I, I, I remember at a camp meeting, I sang People Need the Lord with a piano live. And a guy pulled me aside afterward and said, what do you think you're doing up there? I said, uh, I don't think you're happy with me right now. I was singing to the Lord. No, you weren't. That was the devil's song, the devil's music, and that brought no glory to God. Did you just hear the same song I just sang? It's contemporary. That's contemporary music. And I said, was it inappropriate? That doesn't matter. It's contemporary. Okay, so what you're saying then is I should sing hymns? Yes. And preferably with no instruments. That's an Adventist guy. And, and I said, okay, so... What if I sang that hymn a hundred years ago when it was written? Guess what it would have been? Contemporary. (laughs) That hymn was once a contemporary song. If the song passes the tests, it doesn't mean it's inappropriate because it was written today. Amen? The young people are going, oh, phew. He's, He's not just a hymn advocate. No. There's some of the most beautiful songs being written right now. Some of the hill songs that are written, they're gorgeous. Not all of them are okay. Just like anything, the devil will try to get in wherever he can. So we need to discern. Amen? So, anyway, I realized some people were saying it's okay. This guy's saying it's of the devil. I'm going, apparently nobody understands the subject of music. And for 10 years, God said, don't say anything because you don't understand this subject. Ten years. I've had a couple people sit in these PhDs, music people, and they'll tell me, you got your PhD. You spent more time studying it than I probably have. Is that the case? Probably not. But the reality is this. I had to figure it out. And so I'm going to share with you some of the things that God has revealed and some of the things that God has led in. I've had hundreds of conversations. I've talked to probably most of all the singers that you've probably, I mean, not the ones that are outside of our denomination, but many of them within our denomination. Many, many conversations, lots of study time, lots of phone calls about music standards. And what we basically figured out was that most of us don't really understand it. Eventually, Shepherd's Call Ministry was born. This develops into a deeper music ministry. Our family also... Oh, I'm not showing you. I'm showing you the wrong ones. There we go. That was my first album. Shepherd's Call Ministry develops. Message, music, and media. Bible, note, film strip. And our family starts. That's my 15-year-old son. Tyler, he gets involved in production quite young. Micah, my second child. Our family, not today. Actually, i got to update that photo. Tyler is now taller than me. So, 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. And so that's exactly what Kobe and I did. We decided 
we would start to study this out. And as a result, we began finding some amazing material. Um, I can't do this whole section for you. We are out of, we don't have uh, music hooked up. Basically, Masaru Omoto's uh, research, um, basically what he did is he took music, uh, excuse me, water, and he froze it uh, rapid fashion while different music was being played. And while certain kinds of music were played, amazing, beautiful, snowflake, intricate structures were formed from the water molecules, playing different pieces of music. And then discordant tones, or as he termed it, negative music, formed chaotic patterns in the actual frozen water. Very intriguing, very interesting. The question I have is if music can move water molecules while they're being frozen, what's it doing in our body? Since we're like, what, 75% water? Just a curious thought. And these actually would be different ones that he specifically was playing different kinds of music. That Tchaikovsky Swan Lake created that. Um, let's see. Mozart Symphony Number no. 40 created the middle one. Oh, it's taking a long time because it's playing the clips right now. That's why you can't hear it all. Tomorrow we're going to try to work to remedy the audio problem. Pa- Be- Beethoven's Pastoral. Interesting enough, look at that blob. Any guesses? If you already know what it is, don't say anything. Elvis Heartbreak Hotel. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and then of course, this last one that's an absolute mess. He was playing heavy metal music. So the implication of this research is tremendous in the light of its effects on water. Like I said, I wonder just how much is impacting our hearts and our souls and our physiology. Song has wonderful power. Messages to young people. 291. Is that true? It is. It has power to subdue rude and uncultivated natures, power to quicken thought, to awaken sympathy, to promote harmony of action, and to banish the gloom and foreboding that destroy courage and weaken effort. Music has the power to what? Subdue rude and uncultivated natures. Does music have the power to create rude and uncultivated natures? Yes or no? Yes. It has the power to quicken thought. Can music dim the thought process? Yes. It can awaken sympathy. Can it also dull sympathy? So much so that I might take up arms and shoot my my classmates. It can promote harmony of action. It can also create disharmony of inaction. It can banish the gloom or it can create the gloom and the foreboding that destroy courage and weaken effort. You see, one thing we need to realize is that not all music is created equal. It's not. God has music and the devil has music. And the reality is anything we look at as a principle the next couple couple days or just tomorrow is that 
if there's a positive note on music, it has power to subdue rude and uncovered natures. It also means if we're listening to the wrong types of music, it can do the opposite. You see? One T five oh six. We referenced this earlier. When turned to good account, music is a blessing, but it is often made one of Satan's most attractive agencies to ensnare souls. Direct quote, unedited. When turned to good account, music is a blessing, but often made one of Satan's. Yeah, I think I'll use music. Should I? No. He's saying it's one of the most attractive agencies to ensnare the soul. We must use music. And I've been rebuked by leaders in our church that I talk on this subject. One of probably your favorite speakers, young people, I will not mention this person's name, said that I was just simply chasing the devil's bunnies. Well, when the spirit of prophecy tells me that music is one of the most attractive agencies to ensnare souls, friends, we better be educated on the subject. We better be. After all, we talk about the day of worship. After all, we talk about Babylon, right? We talk about health reform, putting the right stuff in, but don't talk about my music. And this person listens to some Christian version of Christian version of type a certain kind of music that is absolutely inappropriate and he doesn't want it taken out of his life. I wasn't even going to say gender, excuse me. We on the other hand are going to study and reason together. You can accept it or you can reject it. I'm not here to compel you. I'm here to just present to you. Amen? You can still be my friend, even if you listen to the devil's music. Just not in my car. Sixth century Christian philosopher Ansius Bothius wrote this. Music can both establish and destroy morality. And what's crazy to me is that one of the greatest mantras of the modern-day Christian church is that music is amoral. We're going to blow that out of the water tomorrow. They even figured this out a long time before I was born. Sixth century. Sixth century. Music can both establish and destroy morality. By the way, how much death metal was there in the sixth century? How much rap? How much club music? How much... You get the point? Friends, in the 6th century, they were playing what we call now classical music. And he's going, this can destroy morality. Was he right? Yep. Not all classical music's okay. For no path is more open to the soul for the formation thereof than through the ears. And you want to know what? Science has finally caught up with that statement. It says the ears have more nerves throughout the body than any other system of the body. 
Why? Because we're musical, created by a musical God. Should we feel our music? Sure. Should we experience it even physiologically? Absolutely. Is that of the devil? No. But the devil certainly knows how to accentuate certain zones and regions of the body and us feeling it certain ways. We'll get into that as well through the low frequencies. Therefore, when the rhythms and melodies have penetrated even to the soul through these organs, it cannot be doubted that they affect the soul with their own character and conform it to themselves. In other words, by beholding, you will be changed. Not just here. You will be changed. And this is what science is figuring out right now. It's a really exciting time to study this subject. Mm. We don't have audio, so I can't do our 12-song music quiz with you. But we have a couple minutes left. And I'll tell you what the Lord has done. It's very exciting. He gave me two children, as you saw. My oldest boy is amazingly talented musically. Beautiful voice. Plays the piano very well. I'm very excited. Hopefully he will have a musical future. My youngest son loves to listen to music. <laughs> he tried the violin. We're thankful that experiment is over. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Anybody ever had young people in your house learn to play the violin? Wow, you are awesome if, if they stuck with it. The, the Lord gets a hold of our hearts. We're training up our children as the first Seventh-day Adventist children on both of our sides. The first Christian, really second generation now. And God calls us away from California. Kind of sad about that, but kind of happy about it too. Um, there's less people in the state of New Mexico than Orange County. <laughs> the entire state. And I have three traffic signals in my town. <laughs> so awesome. How you doing, brother? And that's the mayor, you know. He, he's my neighbor, you know. He's, it's just so awesome. And so God calls us to New Mexico. I had no idea why we would go there. I didn't want to go there. We went there to visit Kobe's parents that had moved from California to there. And when we arrived, I was the first words out of my mouth as we walked into the house was, we're not moving here. We're not having this conversation. We're not moving here. And I said to my wife, we're not moving here. And she says, we're not moving here. And I said, I'm watching you. We're not moving here. And so she was like, right. Well, we get up the next morning, walking, taking a walk on this road that we now live two streets away from. But we're taking a walk on the road. And I was like, I would never want to live here. And she says, yeah, me either. It's just open. <laughs> I felt very exposed. <laughs> well, I lived up in, in the mountains here. 
I had moved out of the city areas and I was living in the mountains. I had 100 foot pine trees on the property where I lived and I felt like I was covered and nobody could see me and that was cool, right? And then I walk out there and the things they call trees, they're really just bushes that are trimmed to look like trees. <laughs> Seriously, they're just juniper bushes. Then they go, look at the trees. And I'm like, where? And they're like, right here. And I'm like, no, those are bushes. So as I'm, we're walking along, I'm like, I'll never want to move here. And the next morning, we get up, and Kobe and I have done this since the beginning of our marriage. We both pray in the morning, we come together, and then we pray together, and we talk about what the Lord's laying on our heart or whatever. And that morning, we had done that, and then we came together as we were walking to talk about what God had been impressing on our hearts. And he, I said, so what's the Lord telling you? You know, anything? And he, she says, no, you first. And I went, oh, no. And she said, what? And I said, did he? And she said, uh-huh. And I went, oh no. Because I was so 100% convicted, God wanted us to move there. And I said, the Lord wants us to move here. And she goes, no. She said, that's what he told me too. And I said, well, let's get busy. So we started looking for a house that day. Because one thing I've learned, when God says go, you go. God says stop, you stop. I don't always hear the stop command, but he says, go, all right, I'm in, let's go, you know. And he's like, whoa, slow down, so, you know. So eventually we found a house. It wasn't even on the market. We couldn't afford it. I didn't even want a house this big. And God, it was 2,200 square feet, I think, three-car garage on two and a half acres. And I, there's no way I could afford it. And the people that were in the house said, we believe that this is supposed to be your house. Here's what we'll sell it to you for. And it's what we could afford, $50,000 less than fair market value. I, I couldn't even believe it. I was qualified for a certain amount of money. And I, I, did, I, had, I have excellent credit, rebuilt my life from my bankruptcy. But I have excellent credit. They said, how much do you want? And I said, I don't want this much. I want to just have a mortgage about right here. And they said, well, then you need to buy a house about here. And that was the same number that we had with our down payment. And we were able to buy the house. Little did I know that this is where God would impress me to build a studio. We built a studio. It took us a number of years to build it. But we built the, the audio video studio. We have, we have a nice video studio. We've got a shop to build the set pieces. We have equipment room, a control room, a, a vocal booth, an editing suite. Uh, it's just amazing what God has done. And it's all paid for. Unbelievable. God's people have really supported this ministry. And it's been exciting to see. So now my father-in-law was there during this building process. I eventually hired him and said, look, man, I want you to come and work with me. I'm tired of you working out there for the man. And you need to come here and work for God. He's like, oh, I don't really know about your God and all this kind of stuff. And he's a big, big guy, kind of got this voice, you know. And he's 60 four, 65 years old, and he's kind of set in his ways, and he was like, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not interested so much in your religion, but I am interested in getting out of that world out there, you know, so I'll come here. I said, well, I only have one requirement, and that is you have morning devotions with me, because this is a ministry. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so we started all of that, and finally, about six months into that process, he said, with tears in his heart, and tears in his eyes, he said with a quivering chin, he said, son, and that was a neat moment, son, 
I've said a lot of things about your religion and what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, what you're teaching. I'm just going to zip it and I'm going to listen. Eventually, I hired his wife, my mother-in-law, to be my secretary. Eventually, actually, she became his secretary and that didn't help me out a lot, but that's okay. And uh, God has given us lots of grace because when you work with your in-laws, that could be fireworks. Uh, and it's been a blessing. Steel sharpens steel, that's all I can say. No, it's been good. And the reality is, um, when we were having our morning devotion one time, I offered to them, um, you know, let's study this deeper if you guys would like. And they said yes. We studied through everything that we believe, went through amazing facts, Bible studies with them over a couple of month period of time. They both saw this. They both gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And they are both Christians today. That is why God moved us to New Mexico, was to save my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. I, I know for sure. Is it okay to live in New Mexico? Yep. It is. Because friends, after all, we're all just pilgrims. We're just supposed to be pitching tents, but some are building mausoleums. And the reality, or building bunkers these days. But the reality is, each one of us need to go wherever God calls us. But if we're so distracted by everything going on, and all the noise, and all the visual stimulus, then when God says, move to New Mexico, you're not going to hear it. And little did I know, there was one of the most tremendous blessings waiting for me in New Mexico. Do I, do I love New Mexico itself? Of course not. Who loves a desert, man? I feel like I'm over in the Middle East, in my own country. I live at 6,700 foot elevation. I left 16 degrees this morning. It's cold. It's snowy. And it's barren. But you know what? My heart is warm. My cup overfloweth. Because wherever God wants you, and you know that's where God wants you, that's the best place on earth. And so now my boys and I are working together in ministry. We just started, we're starting to build up the equipment in the video studio now. Um, the first project we shot was the Distraction Dilemma 12-hour seminar. We are working on some very exciting projects this year. And they are all somehow intertwined with either my testimony or with media of some sort. Because I think in the media age, we should be talking about these things. And nobody seems to be talking about some of it. So our next project we're working on right now is uh, a whole seminar, Distraction Dilemma seminar, on social media. On, and there's benefits and negative things. Internet gaming, online gaming, and online, uh, the internet in general. And online gaming also meaning gambling. What we've discovered in our initial research is that there are an awful lot of young people, even in our church, that are being addicted to gambling online. And they're using mom and dad's credit card and getting in deep trouble. It's a bigger problem than I had even anticipated. And so we're in the research process of that. Later this summer, we're going to build a documentary on my story. And we're going to interview my brothers that got into drugs and alcohol in prison because they escaped a different way from their childhood. 
We're going to sit down with my mom and say, why at 16 years old were you having intimacy with with this young man that became my father and you had me? What was going on in your life? We're going to sit down and have a deep discussion on camera. And we're going to make that something very powerful. Pray for that project. Because we want it to be a teaching thing. And then later in the year, we hope to do a documentary on an American prophet, Ellen White. That one's going to be awesome. We're going to end the first one with an, oh yeah, she spoke about the future. (laughs) Part two coming soon. You know, that kind of idea. We want to do it on the level that it actually could be played on the History Channel. We want to shoot it well, write it well, document it well interview people about, I mean, white estate interviews, all the stuff that we can do. What's the difference between her and Nostradamus and the, the, her accuracy coefficient and all these kinds of things. So we've got some awesome things going. Who would have ever thought this would have happened when I actually took the job to shoot a thing called a camp meeting? <laughs> Be careful what projects you say yes to. Because God just might snag your heart. And I'm thankful that he did. So pray for our ministry. As you, uh, we'll have a prayer here in just a moment. As you exit, there is a little newsletter out there that you can have. Tell you a little bit about us. Um, this weekend is not going to be a promotional video about Shepherd's Call Ministry. This weekend is about giving you some tools so you can make some powerful decisions in your life. Amen? Um, I think we'll just end there. Let's have a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just are so, so thankful that you've brought us to this another Sabbath. I pray, Father, as we've gone into the evening here, that you would keep us safe as we drive home. Most of us are tired from a long week. I pray you would just put, give us traveling mercies and may our, our sleep be sweet tonight. I ask that you would help us to resolve the audio problems for tomorrow. And Lord, I ask that we would return not only these dear souls, but add to this number, Father, and bring many more. And may we go and invite those who you want us to invite, should you impress that upon our hearts. I pray that you would help our yea to be yea and our nay to be nay and help us, Father, to stand as a needle to the pole even though the heavens may fall. I pray that you would help us to be men and women of character and of conviction. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for our sins. You would cleanse us from unrighteousness. That you would help us to avail ourselves of all the gifts of heaven, including heavenly music. Lord, we love you and we need you in our life. And I invite you to be my personal Lord and Savior and my tutor in this life of teaching us how to be like Jesus. Father, I ask that you would please bless every person that had intended on coming tonight, but something distracted them. I pray that you would bring them tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in each of our lives, not for our sake, but for your sake that we might vindicate your name as we stand as a set-aside people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.